Bill. 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 Yeah. Give me a Star Wars character real quick. Han Solo. Han Solo. Yeah, Han Solo. Yeah. What do you call a smuggler who has been frozen in carbonite? Um. What? A hardened criminal. <laughs> Bad. <laughs> Where did Han Solo leave the uh, Millennium Falcon? Uh, in the parking lot. No, it was a parking <laughs> meteor, you dummy. <laughs> <laughs> I'm bad at this. Is this trivia or joke? I can't tell the difference. <laughs> what is... <laughs> <laughs> These are horrible. Why What's did the green? Jawa cross the road? <laughs> <laughs> What's green and shoots jam at you? Um, Jamma the Hut. <laughs> Yoda eating a donut. <laughs> What? I don't know. Like I what? bought this really bad Star Wars joke book at uh at Little, I think, and I was like really hoping. Oh. I was really hoping it was gonna get me some good stuff and and <laughs> all the jokes were really bad. I mean that's about right. I'd expect them to be bad. I'd be disappointed. How do you way. make a stir fry on indoor? Uh a joke about a walk, ewok, right? Yeah, with an ewok. <laughs> <laughs> oh that's it fuck god i could write these <laughs> what do you call an ewok with no teeth uh i don't know a gummy bear <laughs> oh, oh, <laughs> welcome to the damn. pot charles cinecast presented by the prince charles cinema this is your host jonathan foster and i've broken my little cable boy <laughs> to pieces with really bad star wars jokes it's Phil. Hi, Phil. How are you doing? I am sorry. I've uh, hurt your brain. Um, I forgot I had that book. I meant to pull it out a couple of weeks ago, and I didn't. And uh, that's what you get. I'm happy you paid money for that. It's all I'll say. Well, I didn't pay the retail price of four ninety nine. I only paid like a few pounds. So I think I got the bargain. You get the bargain. <laughs> <laughs> I got my money's worth. That was great. I hope you do. Yeah, I hope you do that every week. Yeah, a new Star Wars joke every week. Let us know at the PCC podcast if you want to hear more really good, horrible Star Wars jokes from my shitty Star Wars joke book. Uh, And I'll be happy to oblige. PCC podcast, Twitter, Instagram, pop us an email, podcastprincecharlescinema.com. Phil, how's it going, man? You doing all right? You doing all right? I'm good. I'm good. I'm feeling better than last week. That's good. Oh, yeah. You had a cold last week. I forgot about that. I didn't have a heart attack in the end, so that's pretty good as well. I don't know. That's good. Yeah. Did you have any more, you know, I did have some. I did have some more palpitations. (laughs) (laughs) Weird chest pains. Classic, John. You know, it's all good. You just have to ignore those. Trust me. You just ignore those pains. And that's the healthy thing to do. Yeah, ignore. You can't let your body control everything. you. You know. Yeah, for real, man. Be you. Be the boss. Ignore of your possibly body. life. Yeah, you have to ignore possibly life affecting symptoms like that because yeah, what are the odds that they're real? They're like <laughs> slim to none. I mean, I know most things are just in my head. Just gotta keep going with whatever you're doing. Gotta keep recording. <laughs> <laughs> just ignore the. You know, shooting paint up and down the left arm. Just 
Keep it rolling, man. We have exactly. a job to do. People are counting on us. Exactly. Speaking of which, people are counting on the Prince Charles Cinema to keep them entertained. Let's get into some quick cinema news because there's not much else to do except to say a couple things that we are trying to do on our email list. This past week, we launched Recreate the Frame 2021. Phil, did you see that? Are you going to you gonna submit I something? Did. You're gonna you're gonna help us out submit something cool. I feel like cheating when I do it if I do it, you know? Yeah. We should have a staff competition. Could I work there? If I win, yeah, could if I win they'll be like, oh fuck you, you know, the guy who worked there won. I'm glad it's back because the last one was kind of amazing. Way yeah. better than I thought it'd be. So if you're relatively new to the podcast or, or you just I don't know, we're living under a rock last April. We asked uh, fans of the cinema to send us in their best recreations of their favorite film shot. And this competition was called Recreate the Frame. Uh, it ended up being like pretty much one of the best contests we've ever done at the cinema, I would say. Mm, for sure. We had loads and loads of incredible submissions, and we were just blown away by all the creativity that people you know, were throwing at us. It was unbelievable. So yeah, here we go. It's Lockdown 3.0. And uh, we got to lift everyone's spirits <laughs> and get your creative juices flowing. So if you'd like to take part in this contest, all you need to do is recreate your favorite shot from your favorite film featuring you or you with family members that live in your house. You know, don't be going to your mom, pa's house or whatever you're doing. Don't just stay in, in your house, in your bubbles. Uh, or your, you know, your friends that live in your house, or your flatmates, whatever they are. If they're your friends, that's great. I'm sure they'll probably help out. If you, you know, friendly flatmates probably will help out. Yeah, tell them there's money involved. There's not, but tell them. If you, if you're not very good friends with your flatmates, maybe they'll help you out, and this could be a good bonding experience to get to know your flatmates better. It's been a year and you haven't spoken to them. So maybe not the time. (laughs) (laughs) You can use your pets or your stuffed animals, whatever. Set the scene, take a photo of it, send it to us. Plus the original shot that you're trying to recreate because that helps us out to uh, figure out what you were trying to do sometimes because sometimes they're obscure. And uh, send it to hello at princecharlescinema.com. And like I said, it's a contest, and contests usually mean prizes, and this one is a big one! First prize is a one-month pass for you and a plus one to the Prince Charles Cinema. And like last time we did this, there just may be awesome prizes for runner-ups as well, so you want to get your submissions in to hello at princecharlescinema.com by Wednesday the 3rd of February. If you need more info, want to see some examples, go to the Recreate the Frame page at PrinceCharlesCinema.com. Phil, <coughs> let's get into it. <laughs> Two weeks ago, we stepped 25 years into the past to usher in a new year with the Nutty Professor from 1996. There, we were greeted with the weird world of 90s infomercial and crash diet culture Last week, we went back 35 years to 1986 to to basically the sort of genesis of the modern teen comedy with Ferris Bueller's Day Off. There we learned some startling facts about Matthew Broderick and his reckless driving. Now, 
with today's episode. We go back to 1996, 10 years removed from Ferris Bueller's Day Off, back to weird cable TV drenched world, and possibly double down, triple down, quadruple down on the pop culture of the time. <laughs> While checking yeah, in with our, our boy, our reckless driving boy, Matthew Broderick. Phil, mm. what film are we discussing today? The Cable Guy. Oh, wait, wait, no, no. It's the Cable Guy. Cable Guy! Cable Guy! Let's do this. Slip the Cable Guy 50 bucks, he'll give you all the movie channels for free. You're offering me a bribe. What you have just done is illegal. And in this state, if convicted, you could be fined up to $5,000 or spend six months in a correctional facility. Oh, oh, please, no, that was dumb. I'm just, I was just making conversation. <laughs> I'm just jerking your chin. I'll juice you up. For Stephen Kovacs. Hey! You guys play here too? Cool. The price of cable just went up. Okay, Chip Douglas, you're on my team. Let's play. No way. I'm on Steven Tim. No. We're not friends. I don't even know you. Well, let's fix that. He's got a friend he can't control. Where are we going? Only the finest restaurant in town. Can I have your skin? Check this out. Silence of the lambs. I just don't have any room in my life for a new friend. So, what are you trying to say? A friend who will not be ignored. I gave you free cable. The guy is a sociopath. <laughs> he leaves messages on my machine night and day. If you're there, pick up. Pick up, pick up, pick up, pick up, pick up. He shows up wherever I go. He won't leave me alone. He's gonna need some tough love. There's Stephen Kovacs in here. I'm Stephen Kovacs. I didn't do anything. Just call my cable guy. At least look into it. Nobody named Chip Douglas works for the cable company. Suspicious, isn't it? You're all being fooled by him. <laughs> He's a lunatic and he's a felon. Don't mess with me. Come back here so that I may brain thee. I'm here for you. Don't do that. You're going to get me killed. Oh, Billy. (laughs) Jim Carrey, Matthew Broderick, The Cable Guy. Okay, I'm going. Take off. After recently separating from his girlfriend, Stephen Kovacs, Matthew Broderick, moves into his new apartment where seemingly quirky cable guy Chip Douglas, paid by Jim Carrey, (laughs) comes to hook him up, and he doesn't let go. Initially, Chip is just overzealous in his desire to be Stephen's pal, but when deranged Chip gets too involved in Stephen's life and Stephen tries to end the friendship, Chip shows his dark side. He begins stalking Stephen and inserting himself in Stephen's personal life. Stephen is left to fend for himself because no one can believe that Chip's capable of such behavior. It's the 1996 black comedy from director Ben Stiller. What? I I forgot this was a Ben Stiller movie. (laughs) Hot takes out the gate, Phil. The cable guy. <laughs> oh, you stupid son of a bitch. 
<laughs> um, <laughs> oh man, cable guy at the at the. Mm, I like it. I like yeah. the cable guy, but the cable guy they mixed bag of a movie for sure. Having yeah. just rewatched it and watching it with someone who hadn't seen it before. <laughs> what did Dusty was, think <laughs> before you even go? Oh in, man, did she hate it? No, no, no. Because she would like. <laughs> and I sort of agreed with her to a, to a point where it's like, it, she's like, it's such a great story and it's such a great character and it's so well done, it's so interesting. But Jim Carrey way too much in that movie, like over the top <laughs> to the point, like it's not funny, it's just annoying and it's not even scary. So it like, yeah. it's not able to do either thing it's trying to do. And yeah. she's like, I could see how this nearly ruined his career. <laughs> Uh, but I can't help. I can't help liking. It. I think it's really. I'm down with the idea of let's turn American funny man into the bad guy, and yeah, real and make him fucking creepy and like a maniac. And I agree, it's it too much to the point because he's not believable at that point. But I love the character so much. This guy, like, had literally his mind, you know, had been right away by TV, yeah. and <laughs> so. It's just fun. I mean, it's just funny, man. It's quotable and it's funny and it's a good ride and it's fucking weird. It isn't like anything he made. And the way I was trying to like rationalize it in my head, it's like it's so like a stepping stone for everyone involved. I mean, for Carrie and Stiller, feels like Carrie yeah. needs it to move into more dramatic stuff and Stiller needs it to sort of fortify his filmmaking abilities like yeah. he needed to get to like Zoolander and stuff like that but saying all that I like it I can see how anyone wouldn't like it though yeah yeah you dig I, you dig this movie though right I love this film and I think I've all, always have and even as a kid like mm. you grew up uh you know worshiping Jim Carrey as a kid like I yes. used to quote Jim Carrey all the time as a little kid like you know <laughs> Those films in 1994, 1995 were like the biggest deal to me as a little kid. And 1996 comes around the cable guy. I didn't see it as being anything but like another great fun Jim Carrey movie as a kid. And then when I saw it again as an adult or or a little bit older, I guess a teenager, I was just sort of like, yeah, this is this is great. Like, I don't get why more people don't like this movie. I wasn't quite aware at the time that how many people didn't like it. And uh, it was as I got older that it was started to dawn on me that people didn't like it. But like you said, I can see why people don't. Uh, I watched it twice recently. I watched it a couple weeks ago, and this was before we decided to do it on the podcast. And that was just to watch it because I often yeah, see yeah. it like on Netflix and I'm like, I can watch the cable. It's one of those films. I can watch the cable guy. I can put this on. It's I can fun. watch the cable guy. Yeah. You and I decided that we were going to do this, and I was like, "All right, cool. I'll rewatch it one more time just to kind of like let it all soak in properly mm. and get into gear to talk about it." And um, yeah, rewatching it last night, I was just sort of like, "Oh man, this film—it's <laughs> like so much good going on in it. There's a really strong, like, mm. fun idea going on. There's yeah, Jim Carrey sure. being like." Amazing in it. Yes, maybe over the top at times. Of sh- sure. There is a lot of good scenes like we'll get to. I think like there's I have so many some of the most amazing comedy scenes. Yeah. yeah. So good. Yeah. Then 
the bottom falls out of it at the end. (laughs) The only thing that saves it is Jim Carrey. Yeah. But the ending is absurd. (laughs) I think it needed, I think, I think the ending, I think it should have ended differently. Yeah. For sure. I mean, we'll get there. Yeah, we can get there. We can talk about the ending in a little bit. But uh, before we get into the film, uh, I just want us to make sure we are properly ready to talk for the next, I don't know, hour. I have no idea about this silly movie and what that might involve right now is a little sustenance. So we shall call a snack time. You thought it was over. <laughs> and now you haven't snack time in lockdown 3.0. Oh. oh no. Phil, what did you bring for snack time? You need it prepped for this again. So I'm assuming you. I'm on a roll. May have done something that I was thinking of doing. Um, Baby, I'm on a roll. And we got the two Matthew Project films back to back. I've got the two <laughs> snack time. With, that needed preparation back to back. And they yeah. both could be seen as part of a set. But in this movie, after Jim Carrey, you know, chip tricks Stephen into sleeping with a prostitute, um, in the morning <laughs> after, he <laughs> makes them eggs. He makes him scramby eggs. Scramby, scramby eggs. eggs. Scramby eggs. And then Stephen like <laughs> overreacts and freaks out. I made you scramby eggs. No, we were cool. So that's what I have. I have some scrambled scramby eggs. eggs. Perfect breakfast food. I had a sausage last year. Now I got scramby eggs. Just a cable guy favorite. Galore. Nice. I'm just make. I'm just just using snack time and excuse to have breakfast. Is that such a crime? Got catch up on it again. What's your opinion on that? What's that? Sorry. Is that, is that like sacrilege to you? I put ketchup on my egg. Yeah, I don't do that, do brother. That? I don't like it. I'm going that way. <laughs> Gotta level with you, brother. You don't like it? All right. Yeah. Well, that's me. Your egg should be good enough to stand alone. Maybe a little sprinkle of salt, a little sprinkle of pepper. But. Yeah, I got that. But, you know, I'd like to give it the extra kick. What's your scrambled egg making routine? Like, how, how do you make them? <laughs> okay. Wait. This is important talk here. Okay. More important than Matthew Broderick. So, because we like to treat ourselves like, you know, a couple times a month, I'll make like a big full, full English breakfast. Um, so, crack a few eggs in the bowl. Whip that shit up. Melt some butter in the pan. I mean, this isn't particularly special. And then, you know, I put the eggs in it. I like to cook them low and slow. I got some hash browns in the oven while that's happening. Mm, Maybe okay. some veggie bacon on the side. That, that only takes a few minutes on the pan. And then toast going, coffee going. I time it so everything's done in about 10 minutes. And then I like the egg slightly under. 
I like yeah. to put, I like to salt and pepper them while they're in the pan, and you know, roll them around and stuff, and put them on the bread while the butter's melting, and just smother it in ketchup. That's my routine. I don't think that was particularly special, <laughs> but I have eggs. What do you have for snack time? <laughs> yeah, I've got another breakfast staple. It's the OG snack, the original snack, the original snack time. Oh, fuck off. Say goodbye to the cable guy <laughs> and say hello to the bagel guy. Uh, I got a bagel from this time, New York bagel company. Sesame seed. You went all the way to New York. Wow. Sesame seed bagel. Um, I'm sorry, Warburton's, but if you would have, you know, endorsed us and gave us that snack time deal, then maybe I would be eating one of your bagels. Seriously, is there anything on that bagel? Yeah, it was toasted. There was some butter on it. It's nice. Okay, I was about to say, if you're eating a fucking dry bagel again, I'm leaving the podcast. No, the only dry bagel you eat uh, (laughs) is one of those, if you're not going to toast it, is one of those, um, the cinnamon raisin ones, because you can have those without being toasted. Pretty nice that way. How many premium channels are you giving your eggs? <laughs> they were top-notch. They were perfect. I'm giving them the 50 free premium cable channels, and that includes the dirty one, <laughs> like the Skinamax and stuff, you know? Yeah. What about you? How was your – I've literally forgotten what you had. I had a bagel. Uh, <laughs> you had a bagel. A bagel. That's how long it's been. My bagel is the OG snack. So it deserves nothing but the premium package. Um, all, Bagel the, ball. all the, all the dirty channels. Yeah, the <laughs> most expensive package. The one that's so expensive they don't even put it on the program. It's for preferred customers only. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> preferred customers, my ass. I just wanted to ask you how you made your eggs, just because I'm always curious about how people make scrambled eggs. I always hear like weird stories of people like doing weird things with them. Uh, and then also when you go to like cafes and diners, it's just like, it's obvious that they use milk to fluff them out and it's really off putting. It's gross. My, um, my brother did that. Yeah. My, yeah. My, when my parents make a, your brother's like, gross. Like I know he listens to this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Rick, you're gross. <laughs> <laughs> you know that now. <laughs> oh. Yeah, my my uh my go to is like I, I'm crazy. I'm a I'm a I'm a wild. I'm a crazy. I'm a crazy I'm a guy. Man. I'm a wild card. Wild card. A maverick when it comes to making eggs. I don't I don't right, scramble them. Me. I don't scramble them in a bowl prehand. I uh put my put my pan down. I use some nice like healthy oil these days um mm. to like grease up the pan a little bit. Uh, yeah, yeah. And then I, I crack my eggs into the pan into the hot pan oh. medium heat. Scramble them while I'm cooking. That's a real skill, bro. And it just turns into the nicest, fluffiest, best eggs in the world. Oh, man. I make I good eggs. I do it like that. I make good eggs. I'm just letting you guys know. Uh, <laughs> yeah. If you think you can top me, when COVID's over, I'll have an egg off with any of you guys. <laughs> <laughs> we'll do it outside the print shelf. Yeah. I want to challenge Kevin Mann of the uh, Attitude Era podcast to an egg off. Um, I know he likes his eggs, and um, that's that's a lot of confidence you go in your yeah. egg, man. I can't think of anything that I think I do better than anyone. 
I just want to start some imaginary beef. So if any of you guys out there listening to the Attitude Era podcast, just start tagging us in. Just start some beef. Um, Good-natured egg egg beef. Um, I feel like I can't do it myself or else it just feels really lame, like everything that I do. Um, So you guys need to help us out here. (laughs) All right. Snack time's done. Let's get into it's the done, cable guy. It, it took half an hour. Yeah, I hope it took you enjoyed half it. an hour to do. I think this film is incredibly underrated. Uh, <laughs> it's one of these <laughs> films that, like like we said, that uh, a lot of people think is bad. Uh, there's some other really untrue things that go on about this film, like saying that it was a flop. And I'm going to make a case for it not being that. So the cable guy originally was written by a first time writer. And a Los Angeles prosecutor named Lou Holtz Jr. Lou Holtz. Lou Holtz. <laughs> Steve Holtz. Steve Holtz. Stand in for Steve Holtz. Steve Holtz. He was quoted as saying <laughs> that he got the idea a few years ago. He was at his mother's apartment building one night and he saw a cable guy walking down the hall. And I remember thinking, What's he doing here so late? That's it. Why even tell the story? What a non-story to like spark the Phil, creative he, writing process. He's, he's not a real writer. He's just a prosecutor. And he's just like, he's got nothing better to do with this free time. He can't think of good <laughs> ideas of why he wrote this. But, I mean, he being honest, right? <laughs> Maybe the guy lived there. You know, it's like, why is this cable guy in my mother's apartment building? I'm going to write a movie about a, a weird cable guy. And Jim Carrey's going to be in it. It's going to be amazing. <laughs> <laughs> You'll see. You'll all see. But the original screenplay, <laughs> it, it actually... <laughs> I love this Lou Holtz we've created in our head. Lou Holtz. <laughs> I'm writing a movie. Just sitting there in the courtroom. And yes, your honor, it's yes, called Liar Liar, and it's about a lawyer who can't lie. <laughs> That's my next All picture. Right. Uh, just for the record, Lou Holtz did not write Liar Liar. This is his uh, one and done, one and done, first time, only time. <laughs> He's that makes sense. Script, uh, which was the cable guy, and yeah, it. it surprisingly turned out to be a bidding war over this screenplay that he wrote. Uh, and it was won by Columbia Pictures. Everybody wants to make my movie. Everybody wants to make my movie. Everybody wants to make my movie. They paid him anywhere from 750000 to $1 million for this screenplay. God and damn. he ultimately wrote five drafts of it before moving on. Jesus. Lou Holtz, everybody. Lou Holtz. <laughs> Columbia Pictures soon hired uh, a young Judd Apatow to produce. I saw his name on this. Yeah, this is like before Freaks and Geeks. This is pre-Freaks and Geeks. So Judd Apatow, of course, he is known for directing hits such as The 40-Year-Old Virgin, Not Up, This Is 40, Trainwreck, and most recently, The King of Staten Island. He's written and produced... So many damn things it's like super yeah. bad, walk hard, pineapple express, step brothers, forgetting Sarah Marshall. Those are just some of the biggest ones. And he's even directed and produced cult TV shows like freaks and geeks and undeclared. So tons of stuff. 
we all know and love. And it's basically, he has his hands on all of comedy, basically, of the last decade and a half. You know, the last <laughs> yeah. 15, 20 years of comedy has really been crafted by people who deal in the same circles as Judd Apatow. And how did he get there? What was he doing all the way back then? Well, he got a start doing stand-up, and he was in school for script writing. And eventually he dropped out of school and he moved in with Adam Sandler, of all people, who he met at an <laughs> improv. He eventually made his way into writing and consulting and producing under uh, Gary Shandling for The Larry Sanders Show. And yeah, man. it was around the same time that he started working with Ben Stiller on The Ben Stiller Show. The reason why I'm going through all this is because it's very important because Columbia Pictures had nixed Judd Apatow's desire to direct The Cable Guy. He originally wanted to direct it. And Apatow was the one who suggested the young Ben Stiller to come direct the film. He directed at that point, right? Yeah. At the time, he was his only directing credit was 1992's Reality Bites when it comes to actual... He might have directed some of the Ben Stiller show, maybe some other TV yeah. stuff. But for films, Reality Bites, 1992, which shout out Paul, big fan of Paul Vickery. Shout out Paul. Shout out Paul. Not Alien Paul. Not Alien Paul. Hiding in the background. Fuck you, Alien Paul. <laughs> Fuck you. He wishes he was as cool as Lou Holtz. Lou Holtz. <laughs> so, yeah, Ben Stiller, he basically comes on. He's not even the household name that he's known today. Like I said, he's done the Ben Stiller show. It was a bit of a cult thing on HBO. Mm. Uh, he appeared in a few movies. One of my favorite films, Heavyweights, 1995. Basically a precursor to Dodgeball amazing yeah, amazing yeah. character but yeah i mean he, has, he hasn't done like he hadn't done a lot and he's not the ben stiller that we know yet so yeah he would come on and he'd fill the entire supporting cast with basically people who were <laughs> in the ben stiller show this film is full of ben stiller's friends it's crazy oh man you, like, watch it the, well, i went down like a rabbit hole and i could out watching it i was like fuck this person's in it this person's in it i was like <laughs> And then there's like there was a name for them, right? There was the like the frat pack, the frat something. pack, yeah. The, the group of guys like Luke Wilson and Ben Stiller and Jack Black, and they're mm -hmm. in Will Ferrell, I think Vince Vaughn, and they are. It's one of those things. Like I obviously noticed at the time, because I when I was a kid, I'd you know I watched Anchorman and Starsky and Hutch and mm -hmm. like yeah, Beat the Parents and Royal Tenenbaums and all this stuff, and you had all the same people and you never put together that they're just friends Yeah, and they like working with each other. Yeah. yeah. Doolander, obviously like he's worked with fucking Owen Wilson like 10 times. Now. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And at the beginning of the movie, I was like, Oh, Jack Black. I was like, I wonder if Owen Wilson popped up. No, I don't think he's in this. And then he's in <laughs> one of the best things yeah. in the movie. Scared him. <laughs> Completely forgot. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh. Throw him into the corner, Gene. <laughs> <laughs> That's a nice, nice wrestling yeah. reference. Nice yeah. wrestling reference. What does he say? Uh, from the thing, you look like Dizzy Gillespie. Mm, so peanuts, so peanuts. Steve <laughs> <Keep> up. <laughs> <laughs> it's amazing. How does how does Jim Carrey make all these damn sounds? <laughs> like he probably improvised all of it as well. Uh, yeah. So yeah, Ben Stiller was even considering playing the role of Chip Douglas, apparently. I don't know if this is true, though. But He I've, could play Steven. I've read that he was considering playing the character of Chip Douglas. Uh, yeah, he played 
a much better role in the background, yes. which makes we'll me laugh to, so much. We'll get to that's running one story. of my favorite yeah. things about this film. But anyway, Ben Stiller, he considered this film to be a much bigger budget version of his TV show. So you can kind of see that it's very sketchy in a way. A lot of the ideas that that are going on, like I said, there's a lot of good ideas in this film, a lot of funny scenes, but Mm. when you tie it all together, it just, it, at the end, it just really kind of doesn't work. But I still think this film (laughs) has a lot of merit, probably because there's a lot of good going on in it. Mm. Like on the surface there's a lot of weird stuff around it. Underneath that makes it even funnier, and then there's just like the actual elements of storytelling that let you down. (laughs) 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 Like I said, I read that he he was considering Ben Stiller was considering playing Chip Douglas as well as directing, and he decided against it apparently because he thought it would be difficult to do both. And now we see that, of course, he's you know started to really do that with like Zoolander. Uh, Tropic Thunder. I mean, he's done plenty of films now. Like, you know, he's not directed as many as I wish he would because I think he's great. Ultimate. I wish yeah. he would, you know, direct more. But yeah. he's been able to do both. But I yeah. don't think this is true given it seems that Jim Carrey was already attached to the film before Ben Stiller was hired. Mm. So let's get into the cast. Matthew Broderick, of course, is. Oh, kind God of, damn it. He's kind of the star <laughs> of the film in a way. Which he's completely overshadowed. He plays Stephen Kovacs. He's broken up with his girlfriend, moves into, well, sort of. They, they're taking a soft break. It's a weird break. Uh, <laughs> there's a lot of like, <laughs> there's a lot of like uh, hint, hints there that if like one of them was not faithful to the relationship, even though they're not really in a relationship anymore, that maybe the other would be upset, that sort of thing. So it's those like breakups. He, one of those breakups. I don't know anything else about Matthew Broderick in this film, uh, from watching it. Like, uh, we (laughs) talked about this last night that like Matthew Broderick, you said that you were right. You said you were right. Matthew Broderick's, bad in this movie. <laughs> he's bad. He's very he's straight up bad. He's not there. He's a straight man to a fault. Yeah. He's yeah. underplayed. He's so wooden. He yeah. doesn't react realistically to everything, which again, I think doesn't help the wacky vibe it ends up landing on. Yeah. I mean he doesn't have to do anything. Really, he's there for Jim Carrey to play off and Jim Carrey, the show, that's what you're there for. Yeah. But he reminds me of like, apart from Ferris Bueller, he's just not like a leading man type guy. It's like Ben Stiller. Yeah. But I like Ben Stiller, but not when he's the guy in the movie, like something about Mary, meet the parent. That's a good example. Meet the parent. The whole movie hinges on you have to feel sympathy for this guy, but Ben Stiller is so inherently unlikable in that movie <laughs> and keeps making his situation actively worse throughout the process <laughs> that you're like, fuck this dude. I don't care. Yeah. And the same thing with Matthew Broderick. You're like, just tell this guy to fuck off. And like right away, he's like too nice, but he doesn't seem nice. Yeah. He's, like I don't know, he's just he's just there. I just don't really buy him in this movie. Yeah, I guess you don't. I guess you don't really need to. Yeah, that's what I mean. Like earlier, when I was just like, you know, this film. There's a lot like 
there's a lot about it that uh, you can see why you wouldn't like, but it's like Jim Carrey's there to kind of like save it, or it's like the ending mm-hmm. is kind of strange and you're just kind of unsure about it. But Jim Carrey somehow sort of saves it. Like, it, <laughs> yeah, he does. There's like it's so much like everything. I don't, I don't really get it. Like. Like I said to you, I don't think Matthew Broderick is really that terrible, but it just seems like he's not invested and he just like doesn't even try to sink his teeth into it. And like you don't yeah. really, I don't, I don't know. know him. I don't know the character. I don't know yeah. about the relationship. <laughs> Maybe that's intentional. Yeah. You kind of, I, I, I see it as like a, yeah, they've broken up, but she's seeing other people kind of shitty. It's the thing of like, he just needs to learn from like, basic self-respect is that what the cable guy is teaching him yeah it doesn't really lead into that yeah they don't they don't it's do sort enough. Of all over the place yeah they don't do enough to really build like who is literally supposed to be sort of your main character where the whole story revolves around this man steven yeah he needs to be likable yeah and he needs to be relatable <laughs> it needs to be like like jim Car- because jim carrey is the same he's yeah. on 11 he's up to it turned up to 11 in every scene with every character that he plays against. And it there needed to be, I think, more of a distinction because he's so charming and suave to like yeah. Stephen's girlfriend. I forgot her name. It's Leslie Mann. It's Leslie Mann, Robin. Life. Yeah. <laughs> Robin. Um he she loved him. His fucking parents love him. Everyone loved him, but he's still this clearly overbearing, creepy fucking guy. Yeah. The whole time. And it needs to be like you know, so when Matthew Broderick is like, no, you don't understand. Nobody believed him. And they're like, you're an asshole. And you're like, yeah. what is happening? Who, who <laughs> are these people? Why do they act like this? <laughs> yeah. But like, and I know Kerry can do it because he did it in the mask. Yeah. So like, I feel like it would have been better if he was like normal one in front of them because he watches TV. He's a good actor. He's always doing these characters. Yeah. He's always this huge personality that you can never quite get a hold of he does it a little bit in the family party um that when they're playing the porn password and is penis <laughs> penis, penis. <laughs> robin showed me the bookmark on our last shutter and it's <laughs> so gross i love that bit with i do project has that moment where project makes me laugh where he's like yeah. center yeah. center <laughs> That's the most he'll give it. Yeah. I don't want to play anymore. <laughs> There's not much info I have that I could find on Matthew Broderick for getting his role in this film or anything to do with who else might have been considered for Steven. It just literally just shows you that they don't care about Matthew Broderick's character in this film or just who was in it yeah. or anything. Like it's it's the Jim Carrey show. Yeah, I still have Kill Car in the back of my head and I can't get over it. <laughs> yes. So Last night when I was doing some research, trying to figure out what the hell was going on with Matthew Broderick in this film, um, I'm trying to figure out, yeah, where am I going to tie some some strings of, oh, last week, we, we, we're we 10 years now, 10 years ahead from 1986, mm. from Ferris Bueller's, uh, about nine years ahead of this terrible car accident that we <laughs> mentioned last week on the podcast that Matthew Broderick was involved in, where he killed two people and he got away with it. Uh, and I'm trying to figure out what happened to Matthew Broderick from that point. Uh, nothing, nothing happened. He still worked. He still did glory. He did, he did quite a few films oh, <laughs> in the 10 years. Like in that 10 year gap, he was, he voiced, uh, Simba, the adult Simba and the Lion King. And I always Lion forget King. that. Uh, so yeah. 
he did a lot of stuff. But what I did figure out was that, uh, oh, of course, he married Sarah Jessica Parker and they have a family together. That's lovely. They seem like a really nice couple. I don't have anything against them. Whatever. Uh, but I did find a very disturbing thing. And it's almost like a little on the nose that <laughs> Sarah Jessica Parker and Matthew Broderick spend a lot of time at a second home in Ireland which is very close to where the accident happened in Northern Ireland, in Ireland, in a town called Kilcar. Kilcar. What? <laughs> Jesus Christ. Dude. Oh, does not bother him? Like if he, you know, bending his thumb in Kilcar? Apparently, he spent his summers there as a child, but I mean, like, and that over did he right, did he take it bit. too seriously? Kill car, like he's like, oh, kill kill car. <laughs> this is like the thing the Irish do, you know? Yeah, tradition. Jesus Christ! Make a man. movie. Literally, this is <laughs> nothing, guys. This is just like I have nothing else to say about Matthew Broderick. Um, it's fine. Beyond that, this it's is okay. just a weird story. It's a weird story. A weird coincidence, you know? It means nothing. Um, <laughs> okay, <laughs> let's move on. The actual star of the film, like, like I said, I mean, the story re- revolves around Matthew Broderick, Stephen Kovacs, but the actual star of the film is, of course, and he got top billing, Jim Carrey as the cable guy, Ernie, Chip, Douglas, Chip? Larry Tate, Larry Tate, who knows, George Jetson. <laughs> I like that one. Ricky Ricardo, Ricky Ricardo. Before. Judd Apatow came on board. Chris Farley was originally oh, up to star in this film. I didn't know that. Imagine that. Imagine might that. This might have been better than the Chris Farley, David Spade movie. Well, the reason why he didn't I, take I it was because Chris Farley had scheduling conflicts because he decided to take Black Sheep instead. Yeah. Which, Black Sheep is the lesser of those two, to be honest. Tommy Boy's like way Black better, Sheep. but Black Tommy Sheep's Boy okay. Better. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but anyway, Chris Farley took far less money as well. I think he was going to be offered like three or four million dollars to do this, and he took less money to go hang out with his friend and make Black Sheep. Um, Good guy. Whatever. Uh, anyway, Lou Holtz, apparently. Lou Holtz! Lou Holtz! He took a <laughs> leave of absence from his day job as a prosecutor, and he flew to New York to meet with Farley to talk about the film. And basically... You know, it turned out that Chris Farley just wasn't going to do it. And quickly it just moved in to like Jim Carrey expressing interest in the film. Adam Sandler apparently was also considered for the role. But, uh, oh man, I'd fucking pay to see that. Our poor boy, Lou Holtz, Lou Holtz, Lou Holtz. said that Jim Carrey never wanted to meet with him. <laughs> he knew. <laughs> Jim Carrey's like a fucking hate lawyer. You're a joke, man. You're a joke, man. Yeah. Uh, I I only wrote the fucking script. Fuck me, right? (laughs) Jim Carrey was hired to the tune of $20 million. And this made him the highest paid actor at the time. The first member ever to the $20 million club. On Cable Guy? That feels like the whole budget. Again, this is another reason why the cable guy gets a little bit of flack. It's because Jim Carrey was top 
top, top comedy star at the time. And he was making fucking bank. And he decided to do the cable guy. And in order to do it, he was like pushing for $20 million. And apparently he, I don't know if this is true. I read this. I didn't even write it down on my notes, but it just popped into my head. But he apparently made his like lawyers and his uh, management and stuff like that when he was trying to get his $20 million for this film. Where like Ace Ventura <laughs> uh, dressing gowns just to kind of like give them perspective of why they're even there in the first that's place. Funny. And it's just like, that's, that's amazing. Really funny. That's some stroke as well. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> okay. So I'm tr- trying to paint a picture here for you, Phil, for how this film stars Jim Carrey and it turned into what it is versus possibly Chris Farley being in it or possibly Adam Sandler being in it. It feels like a bit of a jump when you think of that. What kind of film could you imagine Chris Farley or Adam Sandler producing in a vehicle like this? What would it be? So the original script of the film was much more tame and it was originally described by Ben Stiller as basically a silly buddy comedy and by Judd Apatow as a what about Bob annoying friend movie where the cable guy is just this likable loser who intrudes upon a cable subscriber's life, but never in any physical threatening way. He's just this annoying guy. So that makes a little bit more sense. And Jim Carrey, Judd Apatow, Ben Stiller, they all liked the idea of the setup of somebody who is really smart with technology invading somebody's life, but they opted to add the slapstick in the darker tones and they wanted to change it into a satire of thrillers like Cape Fear and Unlawful Entry and The Hand That Rocks the Cradle. Basically, the dialogue also needed to fit Jim Carrey's style of comedy and no one was going to stop them from doing this because Jim Carrey was in the film. Judd Apatow was like, no one one cared what we were doing. And that's kind of how... They got to where they were. Maybe that's almost a bad thing because no one They could do whatever they wanted and it kind of (laughs) turned into a mess. One of the weird examples of the studio actually not having too much input with the exception of Judd Apatow not directing this film. So it's, yeah, they seem to have kind of gotten away with whatever they wanted to do. Judd Apatow claimed that there was no physical humor for Jim Carrey inside of Lou Holtz! Lou Holtz! Version of the script. And uh, Jim Carrey described the finished product as Hitchcock meets Jerry Lewis and Rosemary's Baby meets The Odd Couple. <laughs> I mean, that's exactly what it is. Yeah. I don't know if that should have happened, that sort of unholy creation, that yeah. Frankenstein monster of a movie. But I, I like the bits that are meant to be scary are scary, like that nightmare sequence Very weird. at the end. Yeah. It's really creepy, man. <laughs> yeah. And some of the comedy scenes are really funny. Yeah. Also, other scenes that try and do the same thing that just kind of fall flat. And I think they could just kind of, you know, you need some tether on Jim Carrey. Yeah. He, right. He is smart. That's something that's actually quite attractive about the character. Like, you know, when he brings them to the satellite and mm. he gives them his monologue, he's right about the future of Absolutely. technology. Absolutely. Yeah. About pairing, you know, your 
your phone, with your TV, and you know you can play Mortal Kombat with your friend in Vietnam. Yeah, all that stuff. Yeah, yeah. He's predicting the future of the Shh, online shopping all that stuff. Yeah, online shopping, and so all that stuff is interesting. But the guy, the fucking psycho. <laughs> Yeah. I think the thing is with this film was that Jim Carrey, like he is Jim Carrey. He's done these comedy films so many times. And we've talked about this with the Truman show. We talked about it with Batman forever. Jim Carrey doesn't like to play it safe. He did. his he doesn't like to repeat himself. He did his stupid films, his stupid like comedy films that made him a star. He did them. He played his goofy character. And then he was just like, fuck it. I'm going to do like a weird thriller film, a weird black comedy. <laughs> but I'll be Jim Carrey in it. Yeah. And, but I'll also be really weird and creepy. <laughs> yeah. And Chuck off. I love I'm it. Just kidding. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Yeah. I mean, I, I love, love it. it. Yeah. I, I love kind it. of love it. There was a really big issue with Judd Apatow. Basically, he rewrote the script with Jim Carrey and and Ben Stiller sort of like giving him some ideas here and there, but he rewrote the script and he ended up fighting in an arbitration case with Lou Holtz. Lou Holtz. <laughs> What'd you do to my movie? <laughs> what did you try to do to my movie? Yeah. I wrote, I went writing a, what about Bob? <laughs> I did a good buddy film. It was a buddy film. A cable guy, intrusive cable guy. He was smart. He used to come to my house. He was very funny. You made it so scary. What's happening to Jim Carrey? What happened to Jim Carrey? Jim Carrey, he put chicken on his face. I don't like it. You said that you were going to have Jim Carrey in this movie, and I thought it was going to be like Dom and Dahmer. But no. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this, is, this isn't the last you'll see of Lou Holtz. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you'll God. See. I'll do it again. <laughs> <laughs> Lou Holtz actually ended up. <laughs> Winning this arbitration case, though, because Judd Apatow said that the Writers Guild make it really hard for producers to get their names on scripts or like credits, basically, mm. for writing, especially if they're doing rewrites, because they want to protect the original writers and they want to separate them from the boss who is the producer. So, yeah, there was a lot of a lot of like problems with that. And it, it kind of sucks for Apatow, but like. Again, this will come into play. Apatow was like, he said, he had friends telling him, like, why would you want, this is like a couple years removed, and he's battling in this arbitration case, and he's like, why would you want credit for this film? (laughs) (laughs) It was a flop. No one liked this movie. And he was just like, it wasn't a flop, and you'll see. (laughs) And he was right. (laughs) So, Jim Carrey... Of course, he came up with a lot of things in this film. Uh, one thing that he did come up with in an early meeting with Apatow and Stiller, they went down to South Carolina and they met him while he was shooting Ace Ventura 2 when Nature Calls. The better Ace Ventura, I'll say it now. <laughs> the better? Ooh, nice. Better Those are some hot takes. But I might agree. I, I really like it. It's it's less transphobic, the Ace Ventura. <laughs> it's more racist, though. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. pick your fucking poison. Pick your poison. Oh, yeah. God. God damn it. What happened to Jim Carrey? (laughs) We just canceled Jim Carrey. (laughs) So 
they they met with Jim Carrey on the set of Ace Ventura 2 for a creative discussion on the script. And at the bar, Jim Carrey came up with an idea of having his character push his chest up against the glass like in Midnight Express and just writing Midnight Express. T- Great movie. tits on glass on a bar napkin. <laughs> I love that bit. Yeah. I'm here for you. Billy. Billy. <laughs> You're going to get me killed. <laughs> Those bits are great. Yeah. Like him constantly referencing movies and shows. Like uh like one of my favorite bits, you know, when they go to fucking medieval time. Yeah. And they get into the 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 arena and they fight it out. And he's doing the Star Trek. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll get into all the biggest the biggest scenes, uh, but I'll quickly go through the rest cool. of the cast. We have uh Leslie Mann as Robin Harris. She's Steven's girlfriend who wants some time from Stephen because Stephen asked her to marry him. She's great in this film. Uh, I don't I didn't look up to see what she had done previous to this, but I love Leslie Mann. Um, she read for yeah, the part with Judd Apatow for her audition. Apatow read Jim Carrey's part and this is where they met. This is where the two really? met. Yeah. Uh, oh, they were sweet. married in 1997 and of course they're still together to this day. Leslie Don't Mann. Don't make a movie together. Yeah, she stars in Knocked Up and This Is 40. And they have their real life kids in the film who. Funny people. Aren't that great, but, you know, whatever. It's yeah, cool. we'll keep it going. But it's, it's cute. They put their kids in the film. Yeah. <laughs> but Leslie Mann's that great. Long they like it. She's funny. I, I like, I've always liked Leslie Mann. I mean, she's great in Big Daddy as well. You know, like. She's great. Who did? Who did? Who Jack Black as Rick. Yeah, young Jack Black. Young Jack Black. Okay, I'm going to say this here, and this might be Matthew Broderick's fault. I don't know. (laughs) Just blame it on Matthew Broderick. Uh, Unfortunately... Blame it on the broad. I think, okay, I think uh, some of the best roles you'll ever get out of Jack Black are going to be Jack Black in supporting roles, side character roles. School School of Rock is great. Uh, Being the exception. <laughs> Nacho Libre is okay. There's, you know, there's some okay, really fun Jack Black leading roles. But Jack sure. Black playing the side character. Oh my God. So many great. Like High Fidelity. High Fidelity. Uh, Saving Silverman. There's so many good ones. Orange County. Orange County. Yeah. This film's probably one of the weakest Jack Black friend roles got what three lines and i don't even buy them as friend because i don't even buy matthew project as a human being (laughs) why are they friends yeah they look like matthew project would go to a metal like a fucking sound garden concert what is happening i have no idea fuck off it doesn't make sense it's a very similar character to like uh philip seymour hoffman in, in like along came polly is just being this like strange friend but philip seymour hoffman got to be what jack black should have been in this film the weirdo, but it was there was already a weirdo in the film with Jim Carrey running Jim around. Carrey. So Jack yeah. Black is forced to be the guy who gets dirt on uncovering, you know, that the cable guy is a fraud. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay, so there's a world where this this film's probably a little bit more interesting. There was a lot of scenes I think that were taken out of the film. One I read about was that uh, when Jack Black's character Rick uncovers the information about the cable guy. The cable guy goes and kills Rick with a staple gun. You know how he's got the staple gun at the end of the film? 
this is what I mean. This is what the movie needed. Yeah. With like actually to be dark, yeah. black comedy. People needed to die. In this. Yes. Very much so. <laughs> that stable gun so. makes me laugh. Like what the fuck are they going to do with a stable gun? So <laughs> I would love to see him actually kill someone with a stable gun. Yeah. And it would make more sense. Uh, yeah. the, the staple gun also, apparently he was supposed to <laughs> <laughs> staple a TV, uh, like a shape of a TV into the back of Matthew Broderick's ass. And That's funny. Yeah, that would have been fun, but they took it out of the film. So I would have loved coward. If, if Rick would have died, it would have made this film a little bit better. I'm sh- like, it would have been a classic, I think. Uh, yeah. Like, cause <laughs> It's sort of like Robin Williams playing like one hour photo. Yeah, one hour photo. Yeah, that's what Dusty was saying. It should have been played more like that. Yeah, like he's actually creepy in that fucking movie. I'm okay with him being funny and crazy and quirky, but if he flips a switch and he like turns fucking evil and starts like literally yeah. trying to kill someone, because it like doesn't pay <laughs> off at the end. It just like it's like I don't know where it's going. Okay, mm. speaking of actual killings in the film. The best thing, one of the best things beneath the surface of this film is Ben Stiller, the director of the film, plays the twins, Sam and Stan Sweet, and there's an ongoing trial going on. (laughs) I'm pretty sure they were Asian. Asian. I think it was an Asian gang or something. I saw someone, he looked Asian, Asian. and he was speaking another language. I'm pretty sure it was Asian. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I love that. yes like this is like you know after like the OJ trial and shit yeah and it's great that people just tuned in to the fucking box like watching this trial yeah and that's why I think the ending could have been amazing because you don't realize it's been leading up to that moment where people are going to find out you just think it's this running joke in the background mm-hmm. so I'd like to have those two bits collide at the end where he jumped into the satellite dish and that uh, it's really funny. It's great yeah. to see Ben Stiller in there, in the mix. Like, he just threw himself into a dumb movie, but it's so, so funny. And I like the fucking Eric Roberts, Eric Roberts made the TV yeah. movie. <laughs> yeah. and he's like, you are, you are so soft. And he, like, yeah. shoots his fucking Buddhist brother. <laughs> yeah. I think no, a lot of this might have been Ben Stiller's idea because Ben Stiller... Uh, around this time was doing a lot of weird short films and stuff and like just really That's what strange it looks like. things. And it kind of feels like that. So it's a parody sort of, a, I guess more so of the Menendez brothers trial that was going on That's at the it. problem uh, at the time. It was a big thing in popular culture. They were these two brothers who were convicted in 1996 of murdering their parents in 1989, I think with the shotgun. So it was very much yeah. like playing off of that, but also like Phil said, th- there's a touch of the OJ trial that's going on. Um, with this as well, because that was just a couple years prior. So this is like in the background, you get it to dip into that weird 24 hour news cycle thing that was really, Mm. you know, just only becoming a thing at the time. And this is like two years prior to the Truman show as well, which really explores people's obsession with television. So it's interesting that Jim Carrey would do this weird film like this. It's like all about like a guy who's just like obsessed with TV and, constantly quoting just weird things and like there's so many things i think we could do i'm not going to but we could do a deep dive on just all the stupid pop culture references in this film there's so many um yeah but yeah like it's weird that he would do this film and then like a couple years later he would just like really kind of like it 
I, I, I was thinking about this the other day. It's like people didn't like this film. They didn't like this film of someone who was obsessed with TV. So he like decided two years later to do an even deeper film about being the TV. I am the TV. I am what people watch. <laughs> yeah, we, yeah. I need right. Yeah, we are the TV, but people yeah. don't like that. Maybe the, the reflective thing in there mm-hmm. in the cable guy. I mean, because I, I don't relate to the cable guy, but it reminds me of me in a certain way because that's sort of how I talk. talk. I grew up watching too much TV. Yeah. And I've got this like, if any skill, it's like a back knowledge of like pop culture references and movie and TV <laughs> yeah, like yeah, trivia. Yeah. yeah. And I'm constantly referencing shit. That's like my way into the world yeah. through movies and TV. So that aspect I can really understand. Yeah. And I think most people can. Everybody remembers these characters and Sanford and Son and Baywatch and like all these fucking weird ass shows and Star Trek and wrestling and everything he's referencing. And you don't realize how much that's ingrained in your personality. Identity, yeah. And if and if you don't have if that's coupled with like a really troubled upbringing where he's not really exposed to a lot of other people, he doesn't know how to interact with people socially, doesn't have any real friends. It's quite damaging. Like yeah. it's only friends, the TV friend, but you need both. Mm-hmm. I mean, like, that's a really sweet moment toward the end. Like, actually, again, it, Jim Carrey being always a good actor, even <laughs> yeah. in weird moments, where yeah. he's like, I just wanted to be your friend. Yeah. And then, like, when he's hanging, he's like, come on, man, I get really lonely. Yeah. Like, it's the only time in the movie where he's, like, self-aware. Because the yeah, rest of the yeah. time, he's almost, like, robotic, you know, where he keeps ending scenes with, and this concludes our broadcast day. Click, click. <laughs> yeah, yeah. A lot of that. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, he's he's very like, I don't know. He's on the spectrum, I think. Uh, for, <laughs> for sure. But for sure. Uh, he's, yeah, it's, it's, it is a shame because he's like, he's such a like, uh, he's such a depressing character in some respects. And yeah, he's when like you think about it. really, really involved in TV. And the, the, it, it's, it's funny because Jim Carrey like makes it funny. But if this, like, that's why it's such a good idea. And if it was played a certain way, it could be like really, really, you know, deep. And I think it was like Jim Carrey was like sort of pushing himself towards this. Obviously, Mm. I don't know. Like, we talked about this with Batman Forever. He really took a step to kind of play a weird, twisted character, even though he was very funny, but it was like more of a twisted Mm. sort of character in Batman Mm -hmm. Forever. Uh, as the Riddler, but then this film, he kind of takes it a step further to be like this deranged man. And then it was like two years later is when he really started to like say, okay, I'll play a more dramatic performance and not rely. And I'll, re- I'll rely on my acting abilities, but not my yeah. actual like comedy chops to, to carry me through. He's doing more with less after that. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like this film, he hasn't quite tapped into it yet. And it's almost like, you know, Mm. when I said last week, when we were talking about Ferris Bueller, I don't know if Jim Carrey was ready in 1986 with what he had and what he was doing uh, Mm -hmm. to, to take that on. And then you see 10 years later and it's just like, he's not quite ready to like play that sophisticated, like 
crazy character mm. yet, but he was trying. And that's, I think that's what I like about this film so much is that Jim Carrey was stepping the out. Experiment. He was experimenting yeah. with something different. Um, and it's not perfect. This film's not perfect by any means, but I think it's yeah. worth your time. Yeah. I mean, he does this thing where he builds, like, again, that's interesting. He built a f- whole character, mm-hmm. like physically, it's different from what you're used to. He got the weird black hair, the butt cut. He got the lift yeah. with the black jaw. Yep. He's and fucking overalls and shit. <laughs> yeah. And he carry. it's weird because he delivers blind, like, of other Jim Carrey characters, but he doesn't present himself like that. Yeah. I wouldn't, you know, Chip is way different from Ace Ventura, yeah. way different from the Riddler. But if, you know, you know, you put them all side by side and maybe you turn the sound off and Jim Carrey does his funny walking stuff, you'd be like, oh, it's just him doing the same character. But it's all these little changes he makes. And it's interesting here that he's sort of playing with that and learning how to use the body. Mm-hmm. Like you're saying, the slapstick humor, he does that a lot yeah. in this movie and yeah, some yeah. of the big, like the three big sequences I'm thinking for are really physical yeah, yeah, yeah. scenes for Carrie, which uh, he's not really known for at this point. Yeah. All right. Apart from the rhino thing. I'll, I'll uh, round out the, the cameos. Cause there is a lot, there's just like a lot of like fun cameos. Most of them are Ben Stiller friend cameos. Um, <laughs> and then we'll get into the big scene. So we got obviously Eric Roberts. We already said they play, he plays um, Sam and Stan sweet in the TV film <laughs> parody thing that's yeah. going on uh, in the background. Blood brothers very, or whatever. Yeah. Very funny. <laughs> George Siegel and Diane Baker play Steven's parents. And then you got Bob Odenkirk playing Steven's brother. Yeah, he popped up. <laughs> so yeah, Bob Odenkirk's there and you can't have Bob Odenkirk there without having David Cross is David one of Cross, Steven's yeah. coworkers. He was a writer on the Ben Stiller show at the time. So, um, or well, just prior to this. So this was like one of his early roles. I don't even know if he even says anything. He might just say one line, but this is. I think he just like laughed yeah, along. It's pre David Cross really. Hairplug guy. Yeah. I couldn't find the Hairplugs guy's name. Um, so I don't have his name, unfortunately. Uh, we have Owen Wilson, you said already. Uh, Robin's date, you know, great scene. <laughs> Such a dick. Such it's a one dick. of the, like, I. I only noticed again this time around. I was like, wow, he's such a dick. Owen Wilson's fucking good at playing that character, though. He's very good. And then you realize quickly that the only reason he is such a dick is so that beating doesn't look (laughs) so bad. Because if he just beat up an innocent guy, I think that's this line they refuse to cross for some reason with the cable guy. But it's like, oh, this guy's not how he deserves it anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Owen Wilson's like, uh, character in this film is sort of like a precursor to his character in Meet the Parents. You know, he's just like... <laughs> just the same asshole. character. Yeah. It's just the author, the other guy, the yeah. competition. All right, yeah. so we'll briefly talk about that in a second. Uh, Janine Garofalo as the Medieval I love Times Janine Garofalo in She's in this. Yeah. so good. Yeah. We do not have forks in Medieval Times. <laughs> so, so we do we not have... have forks at Medieval Times. <laughs> Would you yeah. like more Pepsi? Yeah. He's like, oh, so you don't have forks, but you have Pepsi. <laughs> it's like, dude, I've got a lot Come of Come on, tables. dude. <laughs> it's great. She's so funny. Yeah, really funny. That's a great name. Uh, Andy Dick plays the med- Medieval Times host. Get on the horse, guy, man. I don't think he's kidding. <laughs> and then at the end of the film, uh, when Jim Carrey falls onto the satellite dish and all the 
like the trials about they're about to release the verdict and everything and then everything goes black kyle gas is there yeah uh, the guy who picks up a picks book, up a book. <laughs> <laughs> and opens it midway and just start reading yeah. and it's like oh like, i forgot oh. <laughs> <laughs> that's great no one knows it's almost like they were tr- it's like they they were trying to make a point but also like make fun of the fact that they were trying to make a point it's just like, exactly <laughs> like, yeah it's like oh, fuck TV's you who evil. am i then <laughs> so we got the big scenes one of course is the restaurant scene where owen wilson's on the date with robin uh owen wilson is being an asshole he's asking about where's the chicken he's like oh yeah it's yeah. time to hatch the eggs and he's like come on man no i'm really interested in what you do i mean really interested yeah. but i'm gonna go hit the head real quick i'm really interested <laughs> in your job yeah. <laughs> i'm so interested but hold that thought and then jim carrey follows him into the bathroom and the uh, fake mustache well he's in the bathroom already i guess and um he's pretending go to, take a break to be the the attendant yeah. and uh yeah he proceeds to beat the shit out of him. the ever-loving shit out of him. great kind of amazing really good a really good fight scene it's really funny yeah well, i don't know why Owen doesn't say a thing Owen Wilson doesn't say anything in that scene he throws one punch and uh that's yeah, about it which is the best it's weird you're like it's just this guy can't be everything right like he's smart yeah. and good with people and like a good like fighter yeah this guy like he's should just, be terrifying i mean he grew up on tv man he learned everything he learned the facts of life from watching facts of life <laughs> i think jim carrey like he knows how to fight he probably watched some kung fu or something you know he's yeah, watching up yeah. jim carrey's out. he's fucking built in this film have you noticed that like he's like he's proper, taller like, than everyone he's really tall <laughs> I never really noticed how tall he was. And then also he's just kind of fit in this film. It's pretty impressive, like particularly in the basketball scene, which we'll move on to. <laughs> yeah, he looked good. Looked good in, in the uh, basketball <laughs> shorts yeah. and stuff. Chip Carey do it coming I in. I love that scene. Doing like, his wait, I gotta, uh, don't pull a hammy. stuff. <laughs> I don't want to yeah. pull a hammy. And just running back and forth. <laughs> I love that scene. Apparently Jim Carrey was hopeless when it came to playing basketball. Oh, it doesn't look like it. <laughs> it doesn't look like it. That's because when he's shooting the scene, it was really obvious to Ben Stiller that Jim Carrey couldn't even dribble a ball, let alone play the game well. So he just told Jim Carrey to mimic the movements of dribbling and making baskets, and then they just added in the ball digitally. <laughs> really? Apparently. Oh, man. Yeah. That's yeah. funny. Amazing. Oh, we're playing prison rules, huh? <laughs> prison rules. Keith Gibbs, the basketball coordinator, said that he went to Jim Carrey's house for like three to four hours to teach him fundamentals. And (laughs) the first thing Carrey told him was that I'm Canadian. I don't know anything about basketball. (laughs) That's funny. Now, if this was a hockey scene, way ahead. He said that uh, after an hour, uh, he spent of him like trying to teach him right hand layups. At one point, Jim Carrey Mm. just like went crazy into character and then he just throws this baby hook from like 30 feet 35 feet away and it just goes over the hoop over the backboard and over <laughs> his fence hits a hits his guest house and then he just starts running around the backyard like he just won the ncaa championship <laughs> <laughs> that's funny i mean that's the character right there 
Yeah. You know, when he slam dunks and he just breaks the glass and he's just like <laughs> ruining the game. Ruins the game. Uh, and he's so proud of himself. So apparently during that scene, the stunt coordinator got fired because when Jim Carrey's stunt double went to go dunk and all the glass was supposed to shatter, like it shattered into his face and into his chest, but it was meant to shatter backwards. Mm. Like, so it wouldn't harm anyone. And it didn't mm-hmm. do that because the pyrotechnics failed. That was supposed to make it sort of explode. And it, mm. the funny thing is it just kind of seems like they ended up using that shot in the film anyway. Like the stunt coordinator was just like, dude, I'm pretty sure they just used <laughs> the shot where it just shatters into the dude's face. That if what happened. I mean, yeah. I mean, it's a good shot though. <laughs> with like, could when they do the close up of Carrie and it's like raining down on him. It looks yeah. amazing. And then he just looked and fell full onto the glass, like back first onto the glass. All right. Medieval time scene. One of the best scenes <laughs> in the entire film. Oh, yeah. I love medieval times. I've uh, been many times as a kid. Oh, I would love to go. It is seriously fun. I know. Matthew Broderick sort of plays it off like this is like, oh, you actually come here sort of thing. <laughs> and it's meant to be like Jim Carrey being a loser and all that. But, yeah. oh man, it is so fun. It's it's very much like what you see in the film. The food is amazing. You don't get forks. You, uh, yeah, the food is actually really good. And you get this insane show. Now, they would never let humans, uh, not humans, what am I talking about? Uh, they'll never let guests go out. <laughs> they wouldn't let real people fight. Yeah, those are all robots. Um, they would never let uh, an audience It's like member, the Hall of Presidents. <laughs> they would never let an audience member go out there and take part in that. That's insane. But Jim Carrey no, but, but gets away with it. But it reminds me, like, I haven't been to medieval time, although it looks incredible. But it reminded me of when I went to Disneyland, like a couple, like a couple of years ago. Now we went to Mickey Mouse and Wild West show. Oh yeah, it was the exact <laughs> same thing, where you everyone sat in like the bleachers around this amazing sand pit arena. Yeah, and you got like this great like barbecue food, and the people come. Uh, they had uh, you were in section like blue and red and stuff, and everyone got a cowboy hat, and yeah. you you know you cheer on the rodeo clown from your section but they have a whole story with mickey and friends rustling cattle i don't know but then they have like sharpshooters and yeah. people come out and do tricks but there's a seg- there's section of the show where they ask people to come in and do stuff they come in and they're like you try and make this shot and they intentionally make you miss it's like not a real shot and then fucking annie oakley showed up and she gets it in one yeah that sort of thing. but yeah then <laughs> they're not funny. gonna let just two people go at it. Battle at it. Because you gave them free cable. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, Jim Carrey said that he was just really shocked that no one had thought to set like a comedic piece at medieval times before. So oh, they, genius. the crew shot these sequences at the Buena Park, California venue. So there's quite a few around the U.S. Um, there is one in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. That was the one I've gone to a couple times. And... They closed down its doors to accommodate filming. Matthew Broderick apparently had a lot of issues filming there because he was allergic to horses. And he <laughs> said, I really have to, to concentrate not to sneeze all the time. I like fight scenes. I like physical comedy. But we were there 
doing it for a string of 16 hour days and that can be quite draining and i'm just like well matthew broderick you killed two people um <laughs> fuck your allergies shut up shut up <laughs> <laughs> Jim Carrey improvised that that whole Silence of the Lambs scene with the chicken skins. <laughs> the, the the movie needed like I feel like Chip need more moments like that because that's actually quite funny and quite sweet. Yeah, it's a yeah. sweet little thing he did there, and it's the moment where you could see why Stephen is a little nice to him. Be like, oh, this guy, he's weird, but he's just trying to be he's a good funny. friend. Yeah, yeah, it's funny. But then he makes yeah. him fight him. Which is insane, but then again, he really enjoyed it and like really get something out of it by the end. Yeah, you can actually see Matthew Broderick cracking up during that little bit as well. Like, there's a shot when he's doing it, and Matthew Broderick's genuinely laughing really hard, and then they cut to him kind of going, "Oh, you're crazy!" <laughs> um, Silence of the Lambs. <laughs> Hello, Paris. <laughs> and. Of course, the fight sequence, you already said it, pays homage to uh, Star Trek. Episode, this is the Star Trek episode called Amok Time. And it included them using the Lyrpa, the Vulcan weapons, the dialogue, basically, and the background music. And It's amazing. The reason why this is in the film probably is because Ben Stiller is just a giant Star Trek fan. <laughs> like, I think he, he goes out of his way to... Uh, to put Star Trek references in his films, I think. This one was much appreciated. Like I said, the final script, it had a, a lot of elements <laughs> that didn't make it into the film. And some of them were just apparently really disturbing that Columbia, they just basically heard a lot of complaints regarding certain scenes and they were just like, yeah, you can't do this. Ap- Apatel declared that the studio just like, they didn't really specifically order them to remove things, but they just kind of took the scenes out then it's like the natural evolution of our creative process is what he said um but yeah it, he he was just kind of like yeah here's a list of scenes that they told us we couldn't do <laughs> and he just had like a ton i mean like i said there's the scene where it, the staple gun going into the butt of like you know in the shape of a television there was another where Jim Carrey pretends to be a volunteer firefighter and he hurls a fireman's axe at Matthew Broderick there was one scene where Jim Carrey rides up on a horse and it's like resembling the headless horseman. <laughs> and he leaps. <laughs> and Matthew Broderick. I don't know. It's so much weird stuff that they were trying to do. Full of reference. Yeah. 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 And um, another scene that they cut out because it didn't get big laughs and it scared test test audiences was like Jim Carrey on top of Matthew Broderick's Matthew Broderick's car acting like the Terminator. I'm assuming like from Terminator two. <laughs> that sounds so yeah. funny. They like, they did that in yeah. Simpsons with Homer, like shaking yeah. Ned with the golf club. <laughs> that would have been great. Yeah. Just go for it. At this, at this point, you just have to go for it. Right. Like, yeah, definitely. He'd, yeah. he'd like, he'd like, personifying himself he's enacting what he thinks is a villain and he's playing yeah. out the story and he doesn't really know to what end yet until Definitely. he gets to the end and he's like oh i have to kill the box and it makes sense <laughs> in his head but yeah you could just do loads like loads of i guess you run the risk of just being obnoxious at that point where you're just parodying movies ben stiller stated that they shot every scene with a dark version and a light version and <laughs> He was surprised that the studio didn't object to the violent ending. But like 
at the end, so the ending of the film, there's one draft of the script where Chip actually does get impelled by the cable dish and he was supposed to Thank die. you. That's yeah. how I want the movie. Rewatching it, I was like, oh, I kind of don't remember how this ends. And then when he falls, and it's actually really well done with the slow fall into cutting with the TV. And I was like, he should have been impaled right there. And they should have just cut to static. And that's how you end the movie. Yeah. I would have definitely. far preferred that move, that ending. It would have given it because what, what we get is really weird. And it kind of stumbles to the end. And then it kind of sets itself up for a sequel. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Cable it's guy so too. Strange. Yeah, it's so strange. Apatel later admitted that Jim Carrey was very intent on dying at the end of the film. And yep, Jim Carrey, smart was, one in the room. <laughs> he said that was something that we couldn't get past everyone, but he thought he should sacrifice and die at the end. And yeah, I mean, we've already said it before. If, if Rick had gotten killed by Jim Carrey, and you up the stakes of this yeah. character and make He's him gonna go to jail. darker. Yeah, like, it just it's like he even says he doesn't know what he's doing he's just kind of <laughs> doing it and he's think he's going on the fly like so which that's sums what up this the whole film, movie yeah it sums up the film very much so no um, idea what it's doing it, it has no idea but anyway there's a lot of good scenes in it <laughs> oh it's just it's just with all that said it makes me laugh Jim Carrey yeah. just makes me laugh in it. I just think he's really funny and committed. And I don't know. It's just great. There's so many great lines in it. And it just, I can't help it. I couldn't help yeah. it. It's a movie that should not work, but it just kind of does at the end of the day. Like, it, and it doesn't. It people, does and yeah. it doesn't at the same time. <laughs> yeah. But Jim Carrey makes it work. So the soundtrack, the original score it was performed by our boy john ottman who did bubble boy um, yes. he's done a lot of brian singer Represent. stuff as well uh like no basically boo. All early, boo. but he did all those like early x-men films and stuff as well um but okay i don't really remember much of the original score in this film anyway so i'm not even going to say anything about it i'll probably look up some stuff when I'm editing and maybe I'll put some in the background while I'm talking I, right now, but I don't remember. I, sh- I actually remember noticing it toward the end being like, Oh, I quite like the score here, <laughs> but I wasn't paying attention to it up until that point. Yeah. There's a moment where Jim Carrey like says, Oh, it's a shame that there's no music here because like danger music. Some, that's it. Some danger music. And he just starts going like, da, 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 da. it was like, he's doing something like that. And when he does it, he creates the score and they create a score behind him. It's amazing. Actually, he probably, that's kind, he probably that wrote is amazing. That's yeah. a great meta moment. It like, yeah. you know, all these there's movies that try to be meta, but don't do it like that. And that's yeah. what I want from meta. I want, the character in the movie to be in control of the movie yeah and to be aware that it's a movie and so that moment is really cool i mean the one music i mean the most music i mean the one music moment that stands now obviously is the fucking karaoke scene yeah it's a scene i love and it's i think i think it's the scene with the where the movie tipped over the edge a bit but I, I, I can't help it. Again, I love watching Jim Carrey sing Don't You Want Somebody to Love. I think it's, it's one of those scenes that it's kind of 
burned into my memory. I don't know yeah. why. I've always liked that scene ever since I saw it as a kid. Maybe because I like the song. It's just, yeah, well, again, it's funny. It's funny. <laughs> Jefferson Airplane, Somebody to Love is a classic song. It's an awesome song. Mm. Uh, but Jim Carrey's performance of it, basically, like, his knowledge of it is the performance from Gimme Shelter when they played at Altamont with the Rolling Stones and he's doing all That's the reference. It's all the yeah. references and stuff. It's so fucking good. It's so good. It's funny. It's amazing. His voice is awesome. His <laughs> gyrations, the editing, everything about it is really funny. All the characters at the party are like really <laughs> fucking weird. Julia and yeah. I were watching. Julia was just like, "Man, I want to be at that party." <laughs> it just looks yeah, so don't goofy. You? It's so strange. Like, yeah. <laughs> it's like all of his preferred customers. It's so good, and it is one of the best moments of the film. Like I said, there's a lot of good scenes in this film. Uh, the rest of the music in this film, though, is largely just like, and this is what I remember most of it: just like alternative rock and heavy metal music kind of playing in the backgrounds, and basically mm. they the soundtrack the original soundtrack just consisted of a lot of previously unreleased songs from different bands uh you you have basically like cypress hill there's a white zombie doing a song cracker toadies silver chair and there's even like oh my god this cover of uh the velvet underground's old sweet nothing playing that's performed by this band called ten thousand dollar gold chain and it's just this weird one-off project that was led by Mike McCready from Pearl Jam. So this is like the weird, wow. I don't know it's what was going on with this such soundtrack. Such a point in time. Yeah. And the main, the lead single from the whole film was Jerry Cantrell of Alice in Chains. His like first solo oh. recording that hadn't been released yet called Leave Me Alone. And that plays throughout the film as well. So That's funny. <laughs> I thought you were going to be like, and the lead single... With Kiss from a Rose by Steve. <laughs> I wish. <laughs> Again. <laughs> Again, two years in a row for Jim Carrey. <laughs> the great song. Yeah. So The Cable Guy was released in Jan- June of 1996, grossing over $19 million in its opening weekend, which is, hey, almost, you know, the budget for Jim Carrey. It's almost Jim yeah. Carrey's paycheck. They've, they've almost covered his paycheck right away. Yeah, it would go on to gross over $60 million in North America with an additional $42.5 million overseas for a total of over $102 million worldwide. That's not bad. That doesn't sound like a flop. That does not sound like a flop at all because it's not. It's not a flop. (laughs) (laughs) People lying about this movie. They were. This film was met with mixed reviews from both audiences and critics. There was obviously a lot of negative feeling attributed to the darker tone that Jim Carrey took or took in this film. Like people weren't ready for it. They weren't used to him playing such a weird character. Roger Ebert put it on his worst films in 1996 list, saying it was a strategic mistake for Jim Carrey, and he called it an exercise in hatefulness. And he essentially told Carrie to stay in his lane of playing likable nuts in funny comedies. Fuck off, Roger Ebert. Fuck off, yeah. That's the shitty thing to say. Like, I know... Alright, so over on patreon.com forward slash the PCC podcast, we're over there talking about Fast and Furious films, and Roger Ebert, like, helped Justin Lin. Like, he had this film called Better Luck Tomorrow. He helped that film. 
by giving a good review. So Ari and I kind of like, we were on the good feelings of Roger Ebert. But lately I've been reading stupid shit like this. And it's like, Roger Ebert, you do know that you are just, well, I mean, he's dead now, so he doesn't know anything anymore. But Roger Ebert, he wrote this shitty film called Beyond the Valley of the Dolls. Go look it up. It's one of the worst films ever made. I don't think he should be talking about Jim Carrey needs to stay in his lane of playing like nuts and comedy. You should. Fuck off. You could not like the film, but I don't think you should discourage people from exploring themselves as artists. I think that's yeah. like a, not your job as the critic. Uh, that's funny. I mean, we went from, but we did. Uh, th- wasn't it just him? He said an exercise in hatefulness. Yeah, that's so funny. Going from. Because when we did Ferris Bueller, I checked out the reviews. And one of the reviews was like, this is one of the most innocent movies ever made. And it's like we went from a really innocent, joyful movie to super cynical. <laughs> he loved Nutty Professor as well. You remember? Like, he absolutely oh loved it. Oh my god, this dude all he over thought, the place. he thought the fart jokes were great. So it's weird that he just like, says this is hatefulness. <laughs> it wasn't hateful so enough. Strange. It could have been more hateful. Yeah, um, more hateful, more hate. However, Roger Ebert's co- uh, colleague at the time, Gene Siskel, he called it a very good movie, and he said it was Jim Carrey's best since The Mask. So, not like bad. I said, people were torn. not true, but not bad. It's not true, but I mean, it might have been at the time because what was his competition at the time? Like The Mask, I don't know, Ace Ventura Two, Ace Ventura, yeah. Dumb and Dumber. Didn't that come after The Mask? I'm not sure. But because those all came at the same time, it's hard to say. Um, they were all yeah, like you're right. that same. I year mean, Cable Guy would maybe his most most interesting. I'll give you that. It's like yeah, breaking through with the mask. <laughs> so, all right, the Cable Guy. It's not a flop. I'm closing up here, but weirdly, we we it's talked not, about it's not a flop. I'm not defensive. Yeah, we talked about like you know, films getting bad reviews yet being financially successful on our Nutty Professor episode, like where I was surprised that Nutty Professor actually got great reviews and it was financially successful. Um, Mm. But we were pondering like, oh, I wonder how many films just get like such a bad like review, but then it just ends up being like actually a big financial success. And that's what this film is. It fits that mold. It was kind of hate, like so hated by some critics and some viewers thinking that it's just not the essential Jim Carrey film that it often gets called a flop. And it actually caused a lot of people not to go see it, but still it made over a hundred million dollars. So it's not a flop. It just didn't make as much money as Jim Carrey normally did. Judd Apatow said Mm -hmm. it came out at a time when Jim Carrey movies were making astronomical amounts of money. So people looked at this as a failure because it didn't make even more money. How I always felt about the movie was when you watch it for the first time, it looks scary. It has scary music and Jim Carrey's performance is so intense that you actually think he might kill somebody. So when you watch it, you're just kind of scared of it and it's difficult to laugh at for some people. But Mm -hmm. when you watch it the second time, when you know, he's not actually going to kill anybody, you realize it's just wall to wall jokes. (laughs) Yeah, you're right. Maybe, maybe that's it. It's like, that's actually, yeah, that would make sense. I imagine this is a film that gets better upon rewatching because you know what you're in for at least. Yeah. Basically, Jim Carrey, just trying to branch out. 
He's trying to take chances. And he got fucking paid to do it. So good on him. And paid now way the film, too much. <laughs> the film is found more of a cult following these days. And it's more of a cult film. And that's great. I think a lot of people, people out there like probably it. do love it. A lot of people mm. might hate it. And that's kind of fun. And I think that's something fun that we can explore. You guys can let us know at the PCC podcast on Twitter or Instagram what you thought of this film. Pop us an email, podcast.princechallcinema.com. Do you like this film? Do you hate it? Do you uh, think it's okay? I want to know you guys' opinions. Like I said earlier, I don't think it's perfect. It's not even like fantastic, really. But it's got a lot of great scenes in it. Like I said, the the karaoke scene's great. The medieval time scene is great. The fight scene <laughs> in the bathroom's amazing. The uh, basketball scene's funny. There's so many really fun scenes in this film. Uh, it's a really best of Jim Carrey just kind of like moving into the, <laughs> the next chapter of his career. And uh, is this the last I, time he does I that? I feel like this is the last Jim Carrey, this version of Jim Carrey we see. I mean... Maybe Liar Liar. Uh, Liar Liar was after this. Yeah, it's toned down. It's a little bit more family man. Uh, yeah. And then... I think the last time you really, really kind of get it is uh, Man on the Moon, but that's even like 98. That's different. And, and he's he's sort of just, or is that 99? But anyway, it's around the same time as he does Truman Show, and it's just like he's really sort of like grounded himself into being a fucking great actor. And this is him <laughs> yeah. just, I think this is him just trying to figure it out. And there's a really interesting moment in the film. So Chip Douglas says, himself about the Kevin Costner film Waterworld at the end of the film it's a moment I don't know of, what the big deal was <laughs> yeah it's a moment of eerie prescience he says I don't know what the big fuss is about I saw that movie nine times it rules and <laughs> that's that's how I feel about the cable guy <laughs> really that's how you want to end it fair enough uh, Phil yeah what's going on with you where can people find you and uh yeah say whatever you want to say <laughs> okay i got nothing to say um <laughs> i mean people can find me at the usual place if they're listening uh you know i'm at twitter i'm at twitter <laughs> i got hired twitter. by twitter guys he he's at twitter yeah. now i i work at twitter um i'm the guy that uh can't that uh, finally removed Trump account. So you're yeah, you're the welcome. guy that finally had the guts to do that. <laughs> I just pushed the button. It was an accident, really. I was like on my way to get coffee and I tripped and the wire, like, I pulled the wire out of a router and it <laughs> just kind server. of went away. But people really liked it. So they just kept get going. I don't want to tell anyone until now. Um, yeah. <laughs> yes, I'm on Twitter at FarawayFed on Twitter and in real life. Dog that I met on the gram. And I've got no plan. Plans. I have no meaning. No yeah. purpose in life. Last couple of weeks. We've, uh, <laughs> <laughs> last couple of weeks, we've not really like been given much updates about cinema because there's, I, we just don't know right now. It's kind of like, who knows? Who knows when we'll be able to reopen um, and talk about actual cinema stuff again. But anyway, we'll be here to tell you when we do know and uh, that's why you're here. So you can find me always at <laughs> all for all, T-A-L, the number four, A-L-L, on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Uh, I'm 
currently just yeah we're doing this we're just talking shit about films we got our breadcrumbs thing going go to breadcrumbscollective.com you can see what we're doing ariane's got a new show called drip town limery maine she's had a couple new episodes in the last couple months so go check that out we're working on franchise a brand new show that we're going to launch soon and uh yeah breadcrumbs the actual weird show that phil and i produce every week it's very stupid um (laughs) (laughs) but it's uh, educational yeah educational and also i guessed it on uh mystery on the rocks our pals who drink weird cocktails and talk about mysteries. We talked about The Room again. Uh, <laughs> Tommy's, Tommy Wiseau got his, uh, Never his fortunes over there. Mystery Over the Rocks. Check it out. It's uh, hosted by Chris Stokes, Masood Milas, and Suze Kempner, who appeared on our podcast when we talked about The Room. So, yeah, go over there. Check theirs out. And, yeah, that's kind of what's going on. Stay tuned. I'll be guessing on some other things. The Betamax Video Clubs. There's an episode going out. We're talking about Better Off Dead. Phil and I are going to be on Flicks Watcher. We're getting our name out there, guys. So if you want us on your <laughs> podcast, <laughs> let us know. Yeah, you know we got well, nothing else to do. Yeah. We take cash or credit. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, that's it, guys. Um, yeah. That concludes our broadcast. Click. 